0: a quiet here in our meditation room in the Sangha house, while outside there's a little drumming in the neighborhood. And I think the students are going to have their own kind of young men this evening. We will harmonize. Good evening and welcome in from the 10 directions. I see some new folks Good to see you. Just catch up with us as best you can. Yeah. When asked what he taught, the Buddha answered, come and see. Come and see. Another 12th century master, when asked, what's Buddhism? Because Buddhism hadn't been named Buddhism at the time of Buddha. So these centuries later, what's Buddhism? And he answered, Buddhism is the study of the self. And the study of the self is to forget the self and be awakened by the myriad things, everything. On the front porch of the temple building, our first temple building here in Ann Arbor, Sunum gave us a fish and a bell, in a bell, to hang. And so it's there, it's been there really for maybe 35 years. And it tinkles. And I remember seeing these same bells on the roof lines of temples in Korea. And it, it is a kind of metaphor. It's um, said that the fish, when going up the river to spawn, comes to a waterfall. And very hard to get up the waterfall. So jumps and falls back and jumps and falls back and just doesn't give up because there's this really deep urge to return to the source to lay the eggs. In some sense, we also have those kind of intentions, vows. Finally, when it jumps and the effort's all there, it turns into a dragon and swims at the top of the falls in a beautiful way. And in our Buddhist tradition, a a dragon symbolizes enlightenment. So through efforting the fish awakens. And as we cultivate what we say, the tri-shipcha, Shiksha, Buddha, no, no, let me see. Let's see what these are. They're the three learnings: that is, Shila, morality, Samadhi, concentration, Prajna, wisdom. And as we cultivate these, it's part of the dragon-making process, our awakening process. Amidst the myriad things. So that's why when I left you uh, at noon to go out and cultivate moments, whatever your life looked like. On every one of those moments, those myriad moments at that time is the possibility for your awakening. Always. Even right here and now where you are. This afternoon, for me, found me in the garden for part of the time, crawling around. And I It's kind of exciting because this is a time of year when new things are coming all of the time. And they're like old friends coming back. And at least for me, maybe you're not in love with plants the way I am. And so as I go around, I greet various things because I kind of know when they're going to be blooming and when I'll see signs of them. And that reminded me, I don't know if you knew this about um, Henry Thoreau. And apparently he walked the wooded thickets of his home landscape in Concord, Massachusetts, musing that it was impossible in one's lifetime to know and cover a range of about 20 square miles. Step by step, timeless hours of mindfulness are dedicated, to knowing inside out the life and character of those 20 square miles. How about just our backyard? But I was just really touched when I read about him doing this. It's such a, a, a meaningful practice of a kind of being awakened by the myriad things come and see big time. Our life is kind of like that. And as I talk about gardening, I've been reading a kind of dharma and gardening book and it's called Gardening at the Dragon's Gate which reminds me of the fish turning into dragon story. There's a gate there and so I'm doing gardening at the dragon's gate. Each of you has your own version of that and it's by Wendy Johnson. She's a California girl. I like to uh, read uh, just a paragraph about the gardener so that you can kind of think of it in terms of your own life, your own Dharma life. How does a gardener go about learning the raw truth of place? Every spot has a voice, a particular taste, a breath of wind unique to itself, a shadow, a presence. The best gardeners I know slow way down in order to receive the tidings of the land they are bound to work. We notice where the prevailing wind comes from and how strong it is. Learning from the scriptured listing of bent trees. We notice when the sunlight comes up in the morning in every season of the year and where and when it fades red in the West at night. We track rainfall, the first and last frost dates, snowfall, and sleet, and how long it takes to land, the land to dry out after winter ends. We pay minute attention to the grit of our living mantle of soil. We taste the waters of home with discernment. And humility. I bet each of us could write something like that about something we know well. And coming together in Yongmen Junction is about learning that about our mind and our body and our environment. It's really important these days. I' like to share with you another one hero story. It takes place in the time of the Tang Dynasty when the Sheila period of Korean Buddhism was uh, very flourishing. I talked about that the other day. And a lot of people were of Korean monks were going to China because they were so inspired by the Dharma there, and they wanted to learn more about it. And it turns out that Won Hyo was such a thinker, such a practitioner and such a scholar that many people came from China to study in Korea. And there's a story of when Won Hyo taught about the Flower Ornament Sutra at Naewonsoh. This is a monastery that, a really ancient monastery that was rebuilt because it had been burned by the Japanese during one of their invasions. And it's now a nun's temple where nuns do three-year retreats. And it's one that we visited. It's in a mountainous area, very beautiful. And it's, it was amazing to me to think that a thousand monks from Tang China came to this monastery to work with the um, Avatamsaka Sutra, the Flower Ornament Sutra uh, with one Hyo. And apparently they all awakened. And that's a pretty kind of special, a thousand people. Wow. And so Sunim speculated about why could that happen? that a thousand monks that this Nawan saw could all get enlightened. And as we looked around, he said, this is such a beautiful place. This is such a beautiful mountain. Just the suchness of the mountain was so inspiring. That must have helped. And also, One Hyo was a wonderful teacher, so that must have helped. And so we speculated on all the things that could possibly help so many people to get awakened. While we were visiting, they once saw Sunim took me around the mountain, he took all of us. And then there was a little it was quite rocky, and there was a little ledge. And he said, Hachu, just be carefully walking along that ledge, and you'll see a place where one hill used to sit, it will be on your left on my right, I would drop off this ledge about 100 feet down. So I was afraid to go, but the others all went and came back. So I thought, I better go. It's good to get inspired to do good things by other people. So I inched my way along. And then as I looked on my left, there was this kind of curved seat in the rock. So I sat down and got myself into meditation position and it kind of fit. And the view from the mountain out on other mountains and into the valleys and seeing the mountain upon mountains upon mountains, this is very inspiring. And it was very kind of, it made me want to just begin meditation practice. So I thought after I got back from that, it was wonderful to have been sitting sitting in the same place that one who had sat. Um, That probably the other monks from China had places on the mountain where they went to sit too. It's always good to sit outdoors in nature when we can. It inspires our practice, inspires our feeling of interconnection. Anyway, that's the story of Na'wan Sa, And we have a kind of Newansa going on now. I'm not sure how many of, there, of us that there are. But each thing that each of us do counts that we turn up for each moment. And then together, a little meditation and a little Dharma talk. Before I finish this talk today, I'd like to um, just give you some idea of the scripture inspiration that those Chinese monks had. You actually know quite a lot of it, okay? Because from the Flower Ornament Sutra come our four great vows. All beings, one body, those ones. I vow to liberate blind passions, one root I vow to terminate. Let't put our hands together as we listen to these. Dharma gates, one mind, I vow to penetrate the great way of Buddha, I vow to realize. The beautiful language. So came the four great vows, the four great admonitions. What are the four great admonitions? Would you shout them out, please, for us, Mom? Yeah. Ready? Yeah. Yes, ready. All right. Great It's a matter of birth and death. Impermanence surrounds us. Be awake each moment. Do not waste your life. Thank you. Also from the Flower Ornament Sutra come our three three refuges. I go for refuge to the Buddha and resolve with all beings. I will cultivate a heart of enlightenment and realize the great way. I go for refuge to the Dharma and resolve with all beings that I will penetrate the teachings and uncover oceans of wisdom. I go for refuge to the Sangha and resolve with all beings. I will seek peace and happiness for the many. And transform this world into Buddha land, unimpeded. Also, these are all these very um, dharmas of great magnitude, and the the flower ornament sutra generally offers the ocean of infinite practices carried by all the Buddhas of all the times and places. The ultimate enlightenment in which there are no more ideas of attaining Buddhahood, or not attaining Buddhahood. So this is a little taste of what those Chinese monks were working with, with one and one that's very familiar to us is Are the Ten Great Vows of Bodhisattva Samantabhadra. This is Dawan Sunam's version. All of this richness, I'd like you to take some part of it because I'm really giving you a lot to work with it with your practice. 10 great vows of Bodhisattva Samantabhadra. One, always honor and respect all the Buddhas and never grow tired of it. Two, always praise the Tathakatas, the unconditioned and never grow tired of it. Three, Always cultivate a spirit of generosity and practice, giving an offering to all, and never grow tired of it. Always repent all your defilements and never grow tired of it. Always rejoice in the merits and virtues of others, And never grow tired of it. We're at six. Always help turn the wheel of Dharma and never grow tired of it. Number seven. Always discover Buddhas in your neighborhood and support them and never grow tired of it. Always study and learn wisdom from all the Buddhas and never grow tired of it. Nine, always harmonize with all beings and honor the future Buddhas in them and never grow tired of it. 10, always share and dedicate all your merits to others and never grow tired of it. one moment at a time, makes it all possible. And then to get back to just something short, from preceptor Wugum 1226 to 1292, it means he offered the precepts uh, to those who wanted to take them. A chance question for all the monks: In the morning, eat congee together. After congee, wash the bowl. Now, I'd like to ask all you monks: Have you really understood, stood, or no? Well, what do you say? have to be a little interactive. Okay. Invite them to unmute. Hmm? Invite them to unmute. Oh so I oh I invite mom says to invite you to unmute and answer. So here we go again I'll repeat this. A chance question for all those on Zoom. In the morning, eat kanji together. After kanji, wash the bowl. Now, I'd like to ask all you monks have you really understood or no? It's hard to get a little interactive, it seems. <laughs> all right. Well, let's finish then this time together. I encourage you to take it one moment at a time. And when you've got one moment, then see what the next moment is to devote yourself to. We'll see you hopefully again tomorrow at noon for more meditation and hopefully a little bit of encouragement for your practice. Sambul Hashipsho. That's a word that means please awaken for yourself and all beings. Sambul Hashipsho. Bye.